Welcome to another episode of the CEO Lawyer Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Awad, the CEO Lawyer. And today, I'm gonna teach you how I learned negotiation in China. So the very first thing that you need to know about negotiation is that you have to get experience in it. No matter how much you read about it in a book, no matter how much you study it in school, no matter how much you watch other people do it, there's this personal attachment when you're in that process, you're in the trenches, and you're going back and forth with the salesperson or the buyer or the customer, whoever it is, you have to get that hands-on experience. So no matter how much I go over the different strategies and the biggest mistakes that you can have with negotiation, it's just like push-ups, it's just like exercises. You will not get swole reading about push-ups. You can learn the proper form, you can learn how much weight you can do, what are the limitations of the human body, but you will not actually get better at it until you do it yourself. So with that being said, how did I end up in China and how did I learn negotiation in China? All right, so I started doing study abroad trips back in 2009, no, 2010. The very first study abroad trip I did was in 2010. I was like 19 years old and I did a study abroad trip in China in uh, Guang, no, it wasn't Guangzhou, Zhengzhou. Yeah, Zhengzhou, Z-H-E-N-G, Z-H-O-U, Zhengzhou University. Zhengzhou University is in a small town in Zhengzhou, China that has, uh, the university had about 54,000 students and it was considered like a small to medium-sized university. That should tell you how big the universities are in, in China. Um, it was an incredible experience. The, literally, the moment we got onto the flight, we went over to Beijing first. Uh, within 36 hours of getting on my plane in Atlanta, to set, setting down my feet in China, I was on the Great Wall. And that was just an incredible experience. And it's something that you're gonna get with studying abroad. So I'm a huge proponent of studying abroad. There are three awesome benefits to studying abroad in China. The first thing is, it's the cheapest way to travel. And I'm not saying in China alone, I'm talking about anywhere. It's the cheapest way to travel. If you thought about how much it would cost you to go to Romania for a month and find a hotel or accommodations and food and, and even like have an itinerary of a schedule of activities, it's gonna cost you tens of thousands of dollars to do it yourself and get the same type of experience that you would through school. But I started studying abroad as a sophomore and junior in college and kept doing it every single year, even through law school, because it was the best way to see the world without having to pay much money out of your pocket. The second thing is you actually learn something. So you do get college credits while you're studying abroad, sometimes six hours of credits, which is like half a semester, all condensed into a single month. So there's that benefit of continuing your education while actually having fun. And the biggest, biggest benefit of traveling and studying abroad is that you can get paid to get these college credits. There are so many different scholarship opportunities. I remember the first time I went to China, I think I got paid like two or $3,000 to go. Literally vacation for an entire month in China, all, in, all expenses paid, all the food, and I got like three or six credit hours towards my undergraduate degree. These are just some awesome benefits to studying abroad. So. If you're a college student, grad student, wherever you are in school, I highly recommend you doing a study abroad. All right, so that's the, that's the background on studying abroad trips. But how did I end up learning how to negotiate in China? Well, there's this place called the Silk Market in Beijing, China. 
and it's this massive like seven story building that has all of these different salespeople and different stores inside. And when you go into the store, it's funny because they actually drop off tourists by the busload. If you've ever been to New York City or Los Angeles or Miami, um, or uh, in a lot of foreign countries too, you'll see that they drop off tourists at a specific designated location because like, all right, we're delivering the tourists to you to come and buy stuff. And that's what they did with us. They're like, hey, we're bringing you the Americans, sell them stuff. As soon as you walk in, it's like the biggest mall you've ever been in. It's like, ah, like all these different stores. And within a matter of seconds, it's like you literally have mosquitoes all over you, but they're not mosquitoes, they're salespeople. And they are grabbing you in every possible direction. And if you're wearing anything designer or anything that looks remotely expensive, or even if you just look American or European, they are grabbing you. I had, I had a couple of black friends that were with me on that trip, and literally Chinese people would come up to them and like start touching their skin, be like, oh, is this real? Like, yeah, yeah, it's real. And they and I had an afro, like a much bigger fro back then. They would come up to me and start grabbing my hair. And it's like, Jinda? Jindama? Like, Jinda means, is this real? Like, is it for real? I'm like, yeah, it's real. And every time we had a, a black person come in, they'd always call them Kobe. I don't know why, but apparently the only black person that they know in China is Kobe Bryant. So every single time we'd meet up with Chinese people to sell us something, if you had a black person in the group, you know you're going to get the Kobe Bryant treatment. And I'm not saying that because they were racist or anything like that. They just didn't have black people in China. Like every, like you are literally exotic. If you are a black person in China, you're literally exotic. Even the darker complected Hispanic people that were in the group, or we had some Dominicans in the group and Puerto Ricans in the group, they were a little bit darker complected. They were like celebrities. But the biggest celebrity was the redhead that was in our group because they have no redheads in China. Anyway, I digress. Um, if you go to the silk market in Beijing, I'm gonna give you some tips and tricks that I learned on how to negotiate properly. The very first thing is, if you don't know how to negotiate and you don't know what the value of a certain item is, do not speak up first. You have to let them speak to you first, give you all the information, tell you the price. Now, I didn't learn this until much later on, but the general rule of thumb in China negotiation in the Beijing silk market is to offer 95% less than what they're telling you the price is. Because when I walked in and I saw these polo shirts on the stand and I saw these true religion jeans and you see these Beats by Dre headphones and you see all these different types of electronics, you're like, wow, these people have literally everything, but it's all knockoffs. And so they would try to sell it to you as if it was real and say, oh, it's from the same factory. Well, I don't care if it's from the same factory. First of all, that's probably not true. And secondly, even if it was, it's not like you're gonna have the same warranty and customer service. And third, it's clearly secondhand because it's in this flea market, right? So what a lot of people messed up on was they would agree to whatever price they thought was just reasonable based on their feeling. So I'll give you an example. I went and bought a ton of True Religion jeans when I was in China in 2009, 2010. And True Religion jeans are like 100, 200 bucks in the US. At least I guess that's how much they were at that time. I don't know how much they are now. But when you're there and you're thinking, okay, I can get these for half off, like $50 compared to 100, you might think that's a good deal because hey, they're still jeans, they still work, but the quality isn't quite there, right? The buttons would start coming out, the zipper might get stuck, they might get a little tear or something in the, in the seams. So 
it's not really a true religion product. It just looks like it because of the, you know, the quality of their ability to, to fabricate. Now, if you were to get offered something for 50% off and they say, hey, look, here's this booklet right here. We're gonna give you this booklet for 50% off of what you normally get it. Yeah, I know you buy it in the US for $2. We're gonna give it to you for a dollar here. And all you're looking at is just, oh, well, this looks similar to what I would buy back home. It, it looks the same, it feels the same. So if I'm getting it for half off, it's gotta be a great deal, right? Wrong. The problem with that is that you don't know what the true value of that product is. In some situations, 50% is a really, really good deal. But what I noticed a lot of my friends were doing, and this is, I was in a group of like 45 people. So the way I determined whether I got a good deal in negotiation was to make sure I got my products cheaper than everyone else. And so here's what I did. I waited for everyone else to go and buy stuff that I wanted to see how the negotiation process went. I was researching. First thing you should always do is research. Before you make any sort of offer, before you begin any sort of negotiation, research. You can either research online, get that information. Back in 2009, 2010, it wasn't readily available to get this stuff online. I'm not saying it predated the internet, but this, there weren't as many blogs and as many YouTube videos online. So you can do it online or you can research in person by talking to salespeople. When you're talking to salespeople, you'll notice that they're gonna throw out an offer, throw out a price, but they want you to give them a number first. And if you don't know enough about that product, you never give a number first. And if they're the type of salesperson that's gonna pressure you to give them a number, then you have to give them a number that's so absurdly low that it's like as close to free as possible. 95% off of what they would normally ask for. So when you're looking at a pair of jeans, you think, okay, well, I've never seen a pair of jeans for cheaper than like eight bucks or 10 bucks. Offer them $2 and see what happens. They're trying to sell it to you for $50. I offer them 95% less than what they're gonna give it to you for. And see what happens. Worst thing they can do is say no. Now I've noticed that a lot of these salespeople, no matter what number you throw at them because they're expert salespeople, they'll never agree to the number. You know why? Because psychologically, if someone accepts your offer too quickly, you feel like you got taken advantage of and you feel like it was too low. Like you offered them too much money for that product or you sold something for too high of a number and the customer feels like I got bamboozled. So an expert salesperson will never agree to selling you something even when they know they're making money on it too quickly. They don't want you to feel that psychologically you got taken advantage of. So what I noticed with my friends, they would go and try to buy these true religion jeans and they would offer them, like, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks for them. Well, the Chinese salesperson would be like, no, 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 too much, too cheap, too cheap, too cheap. And they'd be like, okay, come on, come on, give me more, give me more, what can you do, what can you do? They would never give a counter offer. They would also force, they would always force the buyer, the customer to give a number. And that's where amateur salespeople, that's where amateur customers get taken advantage of. They keep negotiating against themselves. So rule number one is learn everything you can about the product or service before you give out a number. Rule number two is never negotiate against yourself. This is not just in China. This has happened to me in Egypt. It's happened to me in Morocco. It's happened to me in pretty much every third world country you could possibly imagine, even in Dubai, in Sharm el-Sheikh, in Egypt, and in uh, Ras al-Khaimi, like all over the world, 
This is how they negotiate. They want you to give them a number and they want to see how much they can squeeze out of you for every single dollar. And the way that you go about this is when you're in a market, all these different salespeople have the same exact product for sale. The only place I've ever been to where they don't have the same exact product was actually in the uh, in Dubai. There was this international market where they had like, they represented different countries and every country had a different product they had for sale. So you couldn't necessarily negotiate because no one was allowed to have the same exact product. But in most markets, especially like in Morocco or China or Egypt, they have the same exact, or in Turkey, the same exact product for sale with everyone. So what would you do? You'd go out and say, okay, oh, I want these pair of jeans. I'm gonna offer you 95% less than what you're telling me. How much is that? Oh, it's $50? No, that's too much. Okay, well, you tell me a price. I'll pay you $2. No, 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 that's, that's ridiculous. Get out of here. Okay, fine. You walk out. Here's the important part. If they try to grab you back as you're walking away, that means your offer was not that ridiculous. Your offer was not that ridiculous. And you have an opportunity to leave at that point without being pressured into buying. You might realize that $2 is just an absurdly low offer for a pair of jeans. But what if they make them for 50 cents? And they can double their money and sell it to you for a dollar. And they're selling hundreds of those every single day. And the dollar is worth 6.6 .6 yuan at the time. It's six times, it goes six times further than the US dollar does here. And they are making money. So you stop, listen, and let them negotiate against themselves. At that point, they're gonna come back and say, no, I, instead of two, how about 25? Or how about 20? Or how about 10? Or how about 12? You take that number and that becomes your new benchmark for the next salesperson. You don't buy from that person. You keep it moving. You go to the next salesperson and you go specifically and ask for that one item. Hey, how much is that item right there? When you go in with a very specific need in any store, this doesn't apply just in shopping in markets internationally, in any store, and they have the ability to negotiate on price, you say, how much is that piece right there? I wanna buy it they're gonna give you a much cheaper price. 100% of the time. If you're in front of a salesperson that has the ability to negotiate or a store owner that has the ability to negotiate on an item and you go in and ask for a very specific item and say, hey, I want this pen. That pen that you have right there, that's the same exact one that I've been researching, the same exact one I've been looking for, how much are you selling it for? They're not going to give you a high price. You know why? because they know that's how they can get you to buy something. And if they offer it to you for cheap enough, you may actually buy, and mentally, psychologically, you will think that everything else is equally well-priced. How many times have you walked into a store where you see an item for sale and it's a super, super low price, and you end up spending a lot more time at that store and you end up buying a lot more merchandise? That's Costco for you. Why does Costco have the rotisserie chickens for $5 all the way in the back of the store? Why are they selling hot dogs for $1.50 with a drink? Why do they have all of their best deals in the front of the store? Because they know that psychologically, when you see something at a very, very low price, you are mentally trained to assume that everything else is going to be as good of a price. And because of that, you let your guard down and you start buying more things. That's exactly what salespeople do to you if you come in asking for a very specific product. 
because if they give you a super, super low discount, a crazy deal on this one product that you're looking for, and they know no one else could have possibly offered it to you for this particular price, because they know they might even be losing a little bit of money, they're gonna offer you a ridiculously low price on that item you're looking for. And statistically, it's 10 times easier to sell an existing customer a product instead of to sell to a brand new customer. So they're incentivized to get you to buy that product even if they lose a little bit of money. Because by the way, Costco loses money on those rotisserie chickens. They lose money on their pizza slices. They lose money on their hot dogs. But it's a way to bring customers in through the door to buy other items because you don't know where other items may be discounted or well-priced. You just assume that it's all well-priced because of the initial encounter and the initial feedback that you got from that store. So that's how you negotiate. You do your research, you go in with a ridiculously low, low ask until you've asked enough salespeople to build the confidence to know exactly how much that product or service is worth. From there, you wanna see what other products or services you can get as a bonus for free that you may attach a value to, but they won't. I'll give you an example. When I was in Malaysia, I noticed that they had this like textile mill and they had all these different like fabrics and things that you could try on and they would make custom suits for you. Well, in the US, if you want a custom suit, you're gonna spend 500 to $1,000 just to get a custom suit. But in Malaysia and in some of these other countries, all you have to do is pay for the fabric and then they will customize the suit for you and put like stitching for your initials in your, uh, you know, in the cufflinks or in the inside of the jacket or in the neck, wherever you want it. That's a huge added value that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get in the US. But in these other countries where labor is cheap, it makes sense for you to get that customization done. So once you've agreed on a certain price for that product or service, then you wanna see what bonuses you can get that are valuable to you, but don't cost much to the seller. Here's an example. If you're gonna go and buy a brand new car, the market has been crazy over the past two years. But let's assume you're buying in a normal market where there is normal supply and demand, right? Not in a situation where the, the microchips have been on back order for years and cars are selling for $30,000, $40,000 over the retail price. But even in that market, let's assume that you want to come in and buy a brand new vehicle. No matter how educated you are on the value of that car, you don't know what additional bonuses and benefits the salesperson can offer you. What if they want to give you ceramic coating on your vehicle? What if they wanted to give you lifetime oil changes? What if they wanted to give you free tire rotation? What if they wanted to add complimentary car washes every single month for as long as you come into the, as long as you come into the shop? Well, these are all added bonuses and benefits that you have a value to, but they don't mind throwing in because they already have the infrastructure for it. So in order to really maximize a negotiation, first, you must do your research to know how much the actual product or service is worth. And then you want to see how many additional bonuses and benefits the salesperson or the seller can offer you that you have a value for, but they don't necessarily have to charge you for it. And then finally, third thing you want to do is make sure you're not pushing too much. Whether you're the salesperson or the customer, you don't want to push the other person too much because there are additional benefits that can come down the road. 
Now, if it's a one and done deal, you're never gonna see this person again and you don't care about the relationship, that's a different story. I don't think I'm gonna go back to the silk market in Beijing. I made a lot of enemies there, I'll tell you that. Especially when I come in and <laughs> be like, yo, I'll give you 32 cents for this thing. And they're like, no, 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 get out of here. Whoosh, stupid American. Like, well, ha, little do they know I'm actually Arab. But I didn't care about the relationships there because it's just a transactional relationship. I'm coming in to buy, they're, they want me to sell me something. And, I'll, and I'll, I'm gonna end with a crazy story about how they tried to rip me off there. Um, but in normal transactions, you want to put a value on the relationship with that particular salesperson or that company. So even if you know you're getting not the best deal in the world, but you know you're getting a fair deal on the product or service, you know that you're gonna have great customer service on the back end, you know that they're gonna add in a few freebies that you attribute some sort of value to. Well, now there's a relationship component that you need to pay attention to. And if you feel like the relationship is going to improve over time and they're going to offer you things in the future that you otherwise wouldn't be privy to or have available to you, then you need to take that into consideration. You know, buying and selling should be fun. You should have a good time when you're in the process of buying. If you ever feel like I'm being forced to do this, I'm not happy with it, there's too much pressure as a salesperson or as a buyer, as a seller or as a buyer, it's not fun and you're not going to actually enjoy the process. You're gonna get buyer's remorse before you even swipe that card. So make sure you're taking these things into consideration. Sometimes the enjoyment that you get just from talking to a salesperson and learning about them, I promise you that the salespeople in that Beijing market in China, the, the silk market in Beijing are some of the most educated people I've ever met. You'd walk in and based on the color of your skin, they would change the language that they spoke with you. They would literally speak with me in German, French, Italian, English, anything that, hey, you look like this color. Apparently not a lot of Arabs went there, so they didn't really speak Arabic much. But they knew the basics of at least 10 or 11 different languages. And I put a tremendous amount of value on that because it's like they're willing to go out of their way to learn your language so that they could sell you something, which is incredibly admirable. But at the same time, they're very aggressive. If they know you got money and you're offering something, man, those Chinese women will literally pull you back into that silk market store. They're gonna block you in. They will literally block you in from being able to get out of the store until you pay them that money. And that actually happened to me. I have videos, I have to pull up my videos from 2010, 2011. So, and I'm, I'll tell you this, even if you don't care about the relationship, you don't care that you're gonna see this person ever again, you should still keep some sort of integrity when negotiating. So if you come in and offer, hey, I'll give you $5 for this, and they're like, okay, I accept, and you're like, wait, that was too, you know, that's too expensive, I think they agreed to it too fast, that's what I call pay to play. You're paying to learn how much something costs. So if you're not ready to make that transaction, not ready to make that commitment, then don't offer anything. It costs you nothing to get information from people, but it does cost you your integrity if you offer something and you back down from it. So I'm gonna close out with this. There was a Nike shoe that I really wanted to buy when I was in China. And like, okay, I'm a broke college student. I don't have enough money. I'm literally gonna buy anything knockoff that I can get my hands on. I didn't care if the insole was gonna come apart within a few weeks, right? But they had these Air Maxes that were for sale. And I knew that in the US it would cost about $100. But in the Beijing silk market, 
It had, they had, everything was exactly the same. It was an identical shoe, identical stitching, identical box, everything. And I found a shoe that I wanted to try on. I put it on, it was a little tight. Said, you know, I put it on, like, mm, you know what? It's a size nine, I really want a size nine and a half. They said, okay, fine, because I knew that, that was the size that I was gonna wear, you know, back home. So the salesperson left, and I'm literally sitting inside this like tiny mini factory of Nike shoes. Salesman came back after about five minutes, handed me a box, you know, looked at the box, yep, nine and a half. Looked at the inside of the box, yep, it's the same exact shoe. I said, cool, you know, here's the money. I think I paid like 20 or 30 bucks for them, which was a deal, by the way. And I didn't even try them on. I said, you know what, it's fine. I don't really care about, like, it's a size nine and a half shoe, right? I saw it on the box. And something told me to try on the shoe before I left. So after I had given him the money, I think it was like 150 yuan is how much I paid for it, which comes out to about $22, $23. After I gave him the money, I decided to sit back down and I opened the box to try on the shoe. And I put, put my foot in the shoe and I'm like, man, this is a nine and a half, but it's still kind of tight. Why does this shoe still feel kind of tight? I know that nine and a half is the right size. I looked at the inside flap of the shoe and I saw that it said it was a nine and a half US. I'm like, that's odd, it's a nine and a half. I looked a little bit closer and it turns out that flap had a sticker on top of the existing label. So I pulled the sticker back, come to find out this Chinese person literally put a sticker on top of the shoe and called it a nine and a half because they didn't have any size nines available and tried to hustle me into buying a size nine shoe even though I knew that I needed a nine and a half. I told him I needed a nine and a half and I paid him for a nine and a half. And the moment I discovered that, I looked up at him like, I'm gonna rip your fucking head off. And he looked back at me and you could see the fear in his eyes. And I'm like, give me my money back right now. No, 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 sorry, sorry, sir, I apologize. I have family and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. His English got so much better at that point, right? No, no, I'm sorry, I have a family. I have, like, dude, you tried to rip me off. Give me my money back. And I, I turn into a violent person when I feel like someone is taking advantage of me. And I've done this before, and I'm not proud of it, but I literally told him, look, man, I am literally going to destroy you and your store if you don't give me my money back right now. And it was one of those things where I just felt, you know what? I don't care what happens at this point. I'm not going to walk away and get ripped off. That's one thing I absolutely hate is when someone tries to rip me off intentionally, I will let the world burn before you cheat me. And I made that very clear to that Chinese salesperson. So... Luckily, he, see, he saw that I was actually serious and he gave me the money back. I walked out of the store and I decided at that point for how much emotional trauma I had just experienced, I would rather just <laughs> go to the Nike outlet back in the US and buy a pair of actual Air Maxes for 50 or 60 bucks than to go through that whole experience again. So I did learn a lot about negotiation in China. I learned how to study and how to research. I learned to let other people make the mistakes before me. I learned to only offer a ridiculously low amount in the pursuit of learning how much a product or a service costs. I learned that you can get additional bonuses and freebies by getting them to customize the shirt or the suit or the pants or whatever it is. And then I learned the value of the relationship, which is actually what caused me to not buy from China, but to come back and buy back home. So. 
Those are all of the things that I learned while negotiating in China in the silk market in Beijing. I hope this podcast has been helpful to you. If you have any questions or comments, please drop them in the comments below. Thank you all so much for tuning into the CEO Lawyer Podcast, and I'll see you all on the next one.